This episode of Verbal Tap brought to you by NogiBJJGear.com. Use the promotional code VerbalTap15 to get 15% off of your order. Do it! Verbal tap fans rap shot for the stars this time and just came up a little short, but did out. I mean, you out kicked our coverage from a credential. So hats off to you on, on this one rap from the athletic, which if you're not a subscriber, they're doing great deals. And I think if anything, the state of media has shown you get what you pay for, go pay for the athletic. It's the best in the business. Combat sports weirdo self-described at Ben Folks MMA on all of the social medias, half of the co-main event podcast. We have Mr. Ben Folks on the podcast. Ben, how are you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing all right, all things considered. Oh, I mean, I'm sitting here. The, it's a gray, smoky blanket of death all around me here in the Mountain West. Uh, and so, you know, after a few days, that tends to have an effect on your mental state. So uh, other than that. I'm doing all right. Happy to be I here. I saw your tweet that you were saying some of California's wildfires are making their way over to you. And I apologize as the resident Southern California person, but you used to live here. So aren't you in some way blaming yourself? Yes, I think we can conclusively say that I am mostly to blame for the California wildfires. Thank you. God, such relief. Ben, all right, here's where we have to kind of roast you a little bit to begin with. So it took us a while to book you. And I'll go through the progression of it very quickly. I guess it really starts with you starting a podcast around the same time we did. So we've both been doing this for about the same amount of time, podcasting, not journalistic integrity. You've been doing that. But then somewhere where it gets boring because COVID, I say, you know, let's reach out to the people that we've always wanted to book on here. And I reach out to you and I say, what will it take? Will it take beer? No. Take a poem? Maybe. Write a poem? No response. I tell you I'm going to buy The Athletic. Trick's on you. I already subscribed to The Athletic. So, <laughs> ha. And yet, that's what it takes to get you over here. And I was just like, motherfucker. All right. Well, if that's what it takes. So, Ben, why, why the cold call? Why, why the courting? Why all that? Well, at a certain point, it just becomes fun. Like, it, I, I, I feel like I can't give in too soon. I, I got I to gotta see what, where we're going to go from here. You know, like, is there going to be a cash money offer at some point? I don't know. You know, you don't want to, it reminds me of like when, when Chad Dundas and I were watching the witch and they get to the point at the end where like, she was basically making a deal with the devil, spoiler alert. And <laughs> she asked like what he can offer. And his first offer is the taste of butter. And you're like, listen, listen, wait a second and hear what else he's got. Like, <laughs> don't just jump on the first offer. Like he's the devil. There's probably something better in the, in the deal. Just be patient a little bit. So, uh, you know, trying to take my own advice there. Some patients, yeah, okay. they could have gotten a Netflix special. Just think about that. Mm -hmm. We've got Lucifer. There you go. You've been covering MMA since 06. Is that right? Because sometimes when we ask MMA fighters, it's like your record says it started in 05. And they're like, 02 is when I hit someone in a casino in a backyard yeah. lot in Topeka. Uh, is 06 the year, sir? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, I did a little bit of uh, writing for like a friend's website when I was in grad school around like 2005, 2004-ish, I wrote a, a 
feature story for the local indie in like independent paper here in Missoula, which has since been shuttered about like a, the first local MMA fight in Missoula made all of $250 for it. And I was stoked to get that. Um, but Damn. like, yeah, 2006 is when I got a job. I, I worked for the IFL. I ran uh, the IFL's website and did all their stuff. And also on the side wrote for like CBS sports and Fox sports and stuff uh, around that time. All right. Well, quick trivia. Does anyone on the podcast, Raf included, know who the welterweight champion was in 2006? Uh, the welterweight champion of the UFC yes, or the sir. IFL? I, I was going I, with the UFC even though you went IFL because I already had that wiki up. So I was like, oh, damn it. I'd have to pivot to the <laughs> IFL. So I'm just doing some fun 06 trivia for people. Uh, was it Matt Hughes? It was. And then he lost to Georgia yep. St. Pierre. So he lost to St. Pierre, and then St. Pierre coughed up the title to Matt Sarah not too long after that. Coughed up being the Oof. ideal term. Don't worry, I'll drop a few more of these, but dynamite. <laughs> nice. He's one for one. Raph, I guess it's true. He really does cover the sport. Verified. Yeah, I know. It's pretty annoying. Ben, here's where we're going to take a little trip back, because everybody knows you as a guy who's been holding down since about that time. Why did you start doing this? Like, I know that you're a creative writing major and it shows in your work because honestly, and I don't bring on guests to tell them this sort of shit often, but yours is the only work when I read it that I actually feel something. And it is hard when you covered a sport to continuously be surprised or be motivated to feel a certain thing after you read an article, because most of the time it's just shitty ads and terrible prose. So instead, when I read your stuff, I go, oh, well, I can appreciate something is going to make me feel this way. But what made you feel to the point where you felt like you wanted to do this as a sport? You know, I first got into MMA uh, through jujitsu, really. Like I, I watched the first few UFCs like on VHS tape, like, a, you know, a couple of years or, or so after. I remember being in high school, a friend of mine, I played football through high school and a friend of mine was a really uh, good wrestler in high school. And he got into jujitsu as just kind of as a grappling adjacent sport and was always telling me about it. And I remember watching Hoist Gracie and thinking like, well, all right, whatever this guy knows I, I need to know this because obviously I'm going to have to fight people in the streets regularly because I was like <laughs> 17 or 18 and that's how you think. Um, and yeah, I, I played football for one year in college, like just enough to find out that I wasn't good enough to play in college and uh, I was kind of over it. And then I, uh, I was in, in San Diego at San Diego state and there was lots of jujitsu options just because there's lots of Brazilians in San Diego and uh, and so it's like, okay, I need to do something athletic and something physical, and I've always wanted to do this. And so, yeah, I started learning it there. And then through that, I mean, Dean Lister trained at the the gym back then, and so everybody would go and see his fights when he fought kind of locally. And you just kind of – it doesn't take too long when you're in a jiu-jitsu gym before you start getting heavy into MMA and, and following the sport and everything. And so it was just kind of a natural blending of two things, two interests I had. I, I was into MMA. And I was into writing and not a whole lot else. And so uh, combining those was kind of just a like a dream job that I, I still kind of can't believe that it's worked out this well. And correct me if you're wrong. Last I left off, you were a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, correct? Uh, yeah, but I mean – I was uh, training in Montana where and for a lot, we were not doing gi stuff, but yeah, basically I, I can't, I haven't trained for a few years now just cause my neck is too bad. And that it, was going to be my next question because yeah. I, I am concerned about your neck. Cause here's the thing. 
I picked up grappling and so is Kevin and Kevin's had off and on. So you guys can talk about that, but it would be very difficult for me to do my coverage and at the same time, not be able to train, uh, and, and produce good work. Because one of the things that's very therapeutic for me is when I go talk with most of these dummies is I go, well, I'm going to go train now because I can't talk about half guard forever on a podcast with somebody unless I try it out myself or I do something. So how was your neck? Uh, I know it was a tough decision to make. You wrote a very great piece about it and I appreciate that as well. Um, how has your neck been feeling since? You know, it's not too bad these days. Uh, it's, it kind of goes up and down and uh, I went through kind of a, over the summer I was looking at maybe doing a disc disc replacement because as you know from reading that story, when I talked to a lot of fighters, uh, the ones who had had the disc replacement spoke really highly of it. Um, and I considered that for a while, but then the doctor was basically like, uh, you're, you know, you're not a great candidate for it just because of how many of like they only do it on two levels and how many different uh, discs I have that are messed up. But, you know, it's kind of at this point a thing that I just manage like my fingertips are kind of always going to be numb, it seems. And like, I just live with that. And I, you know, I play hockey as my main athletic outlet now. And every once in a while, if I get, you know, banged into the boards or knocked down onto the ice or something, uh, I'll feel it in my neck for a few days, but you just kind of get your, your definition of like what counts as problematic pain changes, you know, once you've just been in it for a while. You do understand hockey? there is some, yeah, confusion in terms of, well, you know, this is a really bad contact sport problem. Like I think jujitsu and MMA are bad for you. Let's turn to the thing that hurts more pros than any other sport I can find. A little hockey. You know, hockey's not too bad. I mean, it's not like a full-on checking league or anything. Like we're we're pretty low level, and you know, the contact that happens is mostly by accident. And the real thing is just not having people grabbing onto my head and yanking on it and all the, you know, all the stuff that goes into it with jujitsu where, you know, you, you get stuck in a triangle choke once and you, or you tweak your neck wrong and you'll feel it for a long time. And I went through a whole bunch of stuff with, tried all, all kinds of different treatments that like steroid shots in my neck and everything. And they'd helped for a little while and helped even enough where I was like, okay, maybe I can get back on the mat. And then I just do it to myself again. And it kind of just got worse and worse to the point. Like when you're in that really bad pain from that, like it's like a nerve thing that goes all down your arm and it just makes you miserable. Like you can't sleep, you can't concentrate on anything and it'll ruin your whole quality of life. And so that kind of got me finally to the point where I was like, you know what, maybe you've, you've done as much jujitsu as you can do. Well, here's the slight relief I'll tell you about, which is Stipe Miocic a couple weeks ago famously was telling reporters to fight for it to ask questions. And I've done some coverage at some UFCs and I've been in that press row and I've looked around and I thought about it logically and I'm like, you know, I like my chances here. But I did say, I was like, I don't know if I could take Ben though. Ben's pretty good, I would assume. Cause you still look like you're in good shape. So I'm a little glad that I have a target area if that were ever to be the process to attack. But uh, I guess it's a nice testament to your uh, jiu-jitsu acumen that you would be able to be able to still be dangerous without that. Well, the first thing you need to do if you're thinking about that in the press room at a UFC event is look around and make sure Luke Thomas isn't there. <laughs> you know, like just just do a quick Luke Thomas check. It won't it won't be hard to spot him because he's a gargantuan individual. Uh, but 
make sure he's not even anywhere around before you start considering that. Also, these days, you also kind of got to keep an eye out for Casey Lydon. You know, like he, yeah. He he might not look it, but you see he's gotten really into uh, like oh he's been getting and Muay Thai and his boxing looks great, yeah. dude. Yeah. The only thing with Casey though that I have uh, a little bit of step on, and this is kind of where I would say my my natural advantage is over you as well, is that both of you understand pro wrestling, and I don't pick on civilians when it comes to pro wrestling, but we have a little specialty called WWE BJJ where you can provide jujitsu moves in a pro wrestling context sort of vibe. And I feel like with Casey, he would like it if I hit him with a steel chair, but he would understand why That's it's true. happening. That's true. And he would sell it. Oh, he would sell the hell out of it. He one time pulled me aside and showed me the skin, the cover, the little shield on his phone. And it was of pro wrestling greatness from an indie show. And I looked at him and I was like, I will never have a better skin than that. You will beat me forever. And uh, he smiled greatly. But yeah, no, I mean, we have great people in the sport. Luke's only a little different in that I would ask him, I'd be like, hey, Luke, rank your top 10 favorite rap songs. And then he would give me a long answer about it. And at which point I'd already have the microphone. So I've, I've thought about this long and deeply. Yeah, clearly you have. And you have a pretty good strategy. I... He's nothing myself. if not thorough. That's one yeah. of the It's a lot of downtime in MMA reporting. <laughs> I feel like so you can't size people up. The NBA does do this. Their press corps has a game that I assume only the press corps watches. But maybe similar with a like a MMA grappling tournament, probably for journalists. Though I again would say viewership's going to be down. Yeah, That's just my one comment. Yeah, yeah this this one of those events where. You wouldn't want to focus on how many people are watching, just on who's watching. <laughs> we get a lot of people who always like challenge me to a super fight, and I go, do you want negative ratings? Like, no, my bread and butter is doing the talking parts. You guys go out there and compete. I have really no that, interest in being that. That happens to you a lot, huh? Because that might yeah, say well, something. Uh, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, here's the problem, Ben. You don't do as many memes as I do. So I do memes. I do impressions of people. I generally hassle people to their face, whereas most podcasts do it around someone's back. So it's kind of gone with the territory, and we're okay with that. It, it's it's fine. I just tell people, I'm like, you know, the best interviews that you'll get are if you tell a joke to an athlete, but then they get the opportunity to beat the shit out of you afterwards, and you go, well, was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, training with the immortal Matt Brown was a nice reminder. Great Just be though. careful what you say. <laughs> I, I will throw this out, Ben. I I had a I've had surgeries. Fortunately, nothing as serious as the neck, but I did have to have a um, basically a knuckle replacement on my right hand, undoubtedly from from punching bags and things. Um, and then a lot of I'm going to blame the gi. I liked your no gi stuff. I have a lot of problems with the gi and the grips, but. I've I've sort of drawn on some stories from yourself and from Marshall Carper and some other journalists that have kind of gone through a similar, you know, sometimes you really do have to weigh your health versus that jujitsu or die mentality. Um, and I'm, I'm currently there because I promised my fiance no more surgeries before our wedding. But I would like to, to pivot to some current sports stuff if I can. I want to get a little meta about your depth of, of MMA coverage because I'm curious – after seeing all the transformations over the past few years, what do you think of the current transition they've gone through with ESPN? Um, obviously kind of doubling down on 
we're going to do a baseball-like strategy of we're going to provide eight to ten hours of content, good or not, every Saturday, some Sundays, sometimes in the morning. And I'm, I'm kind of curious your, your state of the state on MMA and, and where it's gone. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like um, we've moved, or at least the UFC has moved from a growth mentality to a cashing in mentality. And I think some of that might be just like the nature of media right now in general, because you see, uh, you know, everybody's got a streaming service for one thing. They, the landscape is just way more fractured than it was even five years ago. And audiences are more fractured. And so the UFC, I think, has realized uh, first with like Fox and Fox Sports and now with ESPN that some of its best assets that it can sell to a, like when it's shopping around or it's shopping its TV rights around are that it creates a ton of content and it has a loyal following that will find it anywhere you take it. And it's not a huge following compared to some of the other sports. It's still a niche sport, but it is a really valuable thing to be like, hey, we have this hardcore group of people. There's at least a couple hundred thousand of them, and they'll watch kind of anything that we put on. And they'll watch it for eight hours at a time, and we can just churn out this content, you know, in part because of having pretty cheap labor compared to other uh, pro sports. Uh, but it's for a now. system that yeah. for now, yeah, yeah. The the UFC has really learned how that can work in its favor and what an asset that is uh, to somebody looking to populate a new streaming service or a new cable TV channel or something. Uh, and so it's like really leaned into that. And you see it like the UFC. The focus right now for the UFC it seems is more on like churning out that content and not being too picky about the quality of that content. Yeah, I've been quite critical because I've Raf knows I've been clocking like how many fights per hour we're getting through because to me, I'm not positive this is sustainable. And you're mentioning streaming services and right now the UFC is kind of trying to prop up multiple ones right from Fight Pass to ESPN plus and a big part of their their move to ESPN was, well, we're going to be the first sport that goes dark on pay-per-view and you have to go online, which means every time if you have a fire stick, you have to reauthenticate your ESPN. That's a separate issue. But you're you're getting into it. You wrote an interesting article about like the tournament that was forgotten in the UFC. And one of my big critical items is I feel like the the fighting we've gotten a little less attached to the fighters. If I go back to my 2006 list, Right, Matt Hughes, Rich Franklin, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, fighters we we kind of had this emotional attachment to. And anymore, you find yourself outside of the occasional, you know, watching watching Overeem do this thing at 40, which is still phenomenal. Outside of him, it's like, good luck picking a lot of these fighters out of the lineup or from knowing from their previous. Do you see this as sustainable for the UFC in terms of the next three to four years? Are they headed towards a, a baseball-like drop-off? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't totally know because it seems like fight sports might be one of those things where you get fans in, and you, but you don't necessarily hold on to the same fans all the time that, that, that they might cycle through every once in a while. Um, but then that means you need to find a way to keep appealing to new fans if you're losing old fans. And it seems like, like I, I definitely agree with you that it, it used to feel like there was a more clear process of kind of taking someone from like the spike TV fight nights, you know, maybe you'd get into them on the ultimate fighter back when people still watch that. 
uh, you'd see people on these Spike TV fight nights, and then they'd kind of graduate to pay-per-view. And so you got to a big pay-per-view, and it felt like you you know pretty much everybody on there if you're if you're following if you're a follower of the sport. And now, like you can be a pretty hardcore follower of the sport and tune into like, a pay-per-view and outside of the main card, you might not really know that many people. Uh, it, it there's more like the pipeline is more from like stuff like, you know, the contender series, uh, which is like a niche within a niche. Um, and, uh, also some of it now is like uh, the feeling is heightened by the UFC not having access to its full roster because of travel restrictions having to do with the pandemic. So, uh, you see a lot of the same people show up, but you also see a lot of people who maybe otherwise wouldn't have gotten UFC contracts right now show up in there. And it just creates a feeling of like, uh, you're looking through a fight card and going, who are some of these people? I just want the tournaments back. I'm, I'm <laughs> ready for something fun. Like, put some money above the fight cage, whatever you need to do. Dangle Anderson Silva's ghost. I don't care. I just want something fun and a little off-catchy. But, yeah, I, I sort of I hear you there in terms of I hadn't factored in as much the travel restrictions, but that's a nice plug for wear your mask if you're out there and not considering it here in the U.S., but. Yeah, I mean, the, the tournament stuff, um, like tournaments can get messy. And the U, I think that's the thing that scares the UFC away from doing it, that it feels like, okay, you, if you do a tournament, somebody gets hurt, that kind of stuff. Especially like those old one-night tournaments, you know, you don't see too many people even attempt that these days. But, yeah, I, I mean, the other thing about a tournament is it gives you this instant feeling like this matters. You know, like you mm -hmm. put any people in a tournament, and by the end – the two people you end up with in the finals, they they feel important just by virtue of having made it through this tournament. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, Bellator and PFL and other organizations can kind of lean into when they're looking at, like, what can we offer that the UFC doesn't? Well, the UFC doesn't want to do this tournament, so you can do that. It is one of the things that we see over on the grappling side, which is, you know, I've done commentary for events where there's a tournament and you go, well, it builds the own narrative right there. Like, I don't have to do much. I just have to tell you what is chronologically happening and there's a story already there uh, is harder to make that happen I guess in today's terms because even when we do look back at it and I guess to your point is you go man what the fuck were we on doing that like how did that ha why did we let that happen and we go eh seemed like something to do <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly well I don't, Chad and I often talk on, on the CME about how Every once in a while, you're reminded that it's a good thing people aren't paying closer attention to MMA. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we used to complain about, it, like, oh, you know, mainstream media doesn't really pay attention, doesn't treat it as a, as as serious a sport, that kind of stuff. And then every once in a while, when we're getting up to really really weird stuff, we're like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing they ignore <laughs> us because if they knew what we were up to, they would be horrified. <laughs> well, we we had a nice little uh, excursion this week where people looked to me and Kevin amongst our own circle of friends and are like, can you explain the Joe Rogan thing? And we go, we'll do a show. Just go away. We'll talk about it. But, you know, we look at people when you go, that's how we're starting to break through is our personalities are peering their head out and seeing what more can they do? How many photo ops can they have with the president? How many different ways can they find to plug things? And I go, we're breaking it. But there's still a lot of shit that we get away with when Dana White says something so incomprehensibly stupid that we go, if we were the NBA, it'd be a wrap, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Dana White is a good example because if you think about so much of the stuff he says and you try to imagine 
some major sports league president doing it. And you just can't, you can't even picture it. But then at the same time, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that especially, uh, it, maybe not fans as much, but like the TV companies and everything have really appreciated is like, they like to have Dana White as like the Vince McMahon of this. And they like to have him as a fixture because the fighters are going to come and go, you know, they're going to retire or, or just age and, or sign with someone else. But Dana White can always be there kind of hawking the product and, you know, yelling about why you should buy it. Until I mean, his neck swallows his head. <laughs> Correct. He will be there. I, I, you guys are already hitting on it, but do we feel like the journalism's gotten better respect in MMA or less? I, I tend to say better just because we finally have a whole row of press corps, but it hasn't stopped Dana from yelling F-bombs at whichever reporter asks the question. Yeah, I mean, he he's going to do his usual stuff. And in a way, I mean, it's he makes for good copy. Like if you're a reporter, <laughs> you're always going to get some stuff out of Dana White. And I remember especially uh, back when I was traveling to a whole lot of events, like I was on the road, you know, for an event at least once a month uh, and sometimes a couple times a month. And when Dana White would do the thing after, like he'd sit there for the press conference back when they'd have, you know, all the fighters at the press conference at once. And then afterwards, Dana would sit there and would, you know, just do like a, a scrum with the media members. And, you know, it was like 30 minutes or so. Like he'd sit there and just answer questions on, a variety of topics and you always kind of knew like he's always going to say something in there that's going to be newsworthy and if there's some kind of controversy or some hot discussion topic you can you can just kind of throw it up there for him and he's going to go off and that's going to you know it's going to give you some material and so there there's something to that but i also think when you're one of the media people who you like, well, that's just your regular beat is like, you're at all the events and you're always in this conversation with Dana White. Um, it's possible. I think sometimes for some of those people to just get a little too like on the team, you know, mm-hmm. you get a little, little bit too much pulled into the orbit and where, you know, they're, they're playing extra nice with them and they don't, they know that they don't want to get the UFC pissed off at them because they, they depend on the access and they depend on being able to be there. Um, but, you know, I think that there are ways to to still get your questions in that way. I think John Morgan does a pretty good job of it where it's like, you know, he's going to yeah. he's going to bring it up. He's going to get you to talk about Conor McGregor or, you know, talk about like, hey, has anybody suggested that maybe you mm-hmm. don't keep shaking hands and showing up without a mask uh, like as the only guy during this uh, pandemic, like that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think that. It, it does create, though, a little bit of a, a difficult situation for some of the media where, like, if you really depend on being there, the, and especially in the past, the UFC could be really overbearing in, like, how it would give access or take it away to try to mold reporters to its its means, you know, it's what it you wanted it to be. don't say, Ben. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, I mean, historically on this show, I was there for, I guess I want to say the press conference after GSP retired. So what I did at that one was, you know, I was kind of shadowing and I was, I was starting to learn. I mean, I was trying to learn what you guys do and I wasn't an on air personality. I was just kind of like, Hey, you know, I'll do camera work. I'll help out. And because GSP surprised everybody by deciding he was going to a retire. So Dana didn't get a heads up on that. And I don't know if you remember this. I do know you were there. 
But Dana came out, and this is where I portrayed my interpretation of Dana White that would become something that we do on this podcast, which is he just basically came out and he just said a phrase that just was my tuning fork for the impression where he goes, hey, you fucking dummies. And I go, oh, this should be good. Okay, what's going on, Dana? And he was essentially taking out his frustration that he wasn't in the know. He's probably going to have to do without GSP. And he became so surly that I, I looked at all of you guys who did this as a profession week after week and the hours of training and the hours of writing. And people don't know the schedule that that life entails of a very shitty all-you-can-kind-of-eat buffet that gets wiped out. And then all of a sudden, all you have is popcorn at 2 a.m. in the morning when you're starving and about to die in yeah. the MGM Grand press room. And I looked at myself and I looked at myself and I said... So he's going to berate you guys for some shit you didn't do. Sounds like fun. Sign me up. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about the one that after the GSP Johnny Hendricks fight, right? Correct. That one. Correct. Yeah. I remember that one because you could see his head change colors. <laughs> he, he was, he was so mad and yelling so much. And he also, I remember of that one, like he just kind of went off on GSP Mm-hmm. talking about like, oh, you know, you don't step away. Like you give this guy a rematch or you, you're vacating the title or something. You, what is this stepping away bullshit? And he was so mad. And then at some point, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Kevin Eoli or maybe it was somebody else who asked him like, have you actually talked to GSP yet? Like about like what his thoughts are? And then the answer was no. No, he yeah. had not. Had not even spoken to GSP before just showing up and burying one of the like biggest draws and greatest fighters that the company has ever had. Uh, also went off on the Nevada State Athletic Commission and how yep. the governor needed to get in here and investigate this because of, <laughs> he, he, cause he disagreed with the decision. And then the next thing you know, like it, it was not long after that, that Keith Kaiser, who was then the executive director, announced that uh, he was leaving that post. And I think, I don't know, going back to work for like the state's attorney general or something. Uh, and you could just it, it felt like I remember reaching out to Keith to kind of ask him about this, that decision. And it didn't seem like, you know, the governor had ran him out of the office on the request of Dana White or anything. But it did seem like Keith had kind of hit a point after that where he was like, you know what? I've had enough of this crap. Yep. Uh, I'm out. And you couldn't really blame him. I mean, I remember especially what you're alluding to, because I think we made a joke on the show. that was kind of like when I came home, I go, I don't even know how to fully make people aware of what I saw because it's a specialized version of it. I've seen other ones. I've been to other ones, but that one felt so uniquely like I'm going to make Dana a caricature on our show and I'm going to have fun with it. But the real core of it was just looking at how he interpreted that where he's like, we need to get people in here and really look at this. I need judge Judy in here. I need three fifths of the Supreme court, you know, the good ones. Uh, And I just couldn't think like, how does this happen so uniquely to our sport? And yet everybody just kind of nods and smiles and then eh, it's got to get up here by about 2 a.m. Hopefully I'll be done. So I guess the question I want to follow up that with is when did you decide to start pulling back from doing the grind of traveling consistently? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was having kids and just uh, I mean, my job description also kind of changed as I moved around jobs a little bit. But it was like, you know, once I had kids and it's harder to to just, especially really small kids, like when my uh, oldest daughter was first born, it's a little bit harder to justify to yourself. Like, 
do I need to go to, you know, spend five days in Las Vegas or Toronto or, you know, Cincinnati or wherever um, for this particular fight card? Like, is this a big, you know, it made me pick and choose a little bit more, like which ones are the big ones that feel like you really need to be there. Because, uh, I mean, you do get something out of being there, not yeah. only just like the access, but like, you know, you get a chance to to talk to people that you otherwise wouldn't talk to and they get the chance to see your face and kind of know who you are uh, and you come away with a different impression of the whole event. But it's also like you kind of got to get a little proactive about doing that because the UFC has gotten to the point where it's a well-oiled machine at running these live events and it really knows exactly how to do it. And it, the schedule is just like, like clockwork kind of each time. And I think a lot of people who cover a lot of those events they, it's really easy to just fall into that rhythm that the UFC sets for you. And then you end up just going where they want you to go and seeing what you want, they, they want you to see. And it's harder to find stories that, you know, not every other outlet is finding like, cause you're all just kind of sitting there at the same media availabilities, hearing more or less the same stuff. You, you, you got to try a little bit harder to get out of that and find your own story within that. You find some pretty unique ways to give us more in-depth coverage, which is a nice plug for me to, to throw at The Athletic. What's your approach when you're looking at stories? Because without clockwork, one of the things you can rely upon is MMA websites. I'm not going to use journalists in this particular, and I'll, I'm making that distinction for a reason, because you can count on them to aggregate the same exact story or the same exact ESPN or Dana White foothold. You don't do that. What's your approach to offer that difference, which also gives some people some insight into why they should why they should subscribe to The Athletic and check you out on the co-main event? But just curious your approach. Well, I mean, a lot of it, I'm lucky to have those kind of platforms and opportunities to do that because I've had those jobs before like with other websites where, you know, they kind of tell you like, hey, uh, Conor McGregor's in the news. We got we get, we need to have some Conor McGregor content up there. You know, he's been arrested again. Like, let's get another Conor McGregor column. Or like, can we get a, you know, can we just get a column with this guy's name in the headline just so that, because uh, that's yep. going to get us some clicks. And, and at The Athletic, I don't have to do that. And so that's a little nicer. Like, they also, I just don't have to churn out as much sheer volume in terms of like content, you know, you get to actually work on some stories and to be like, okay, here's a story I'm working on, but it's going to take some time. You know, you, if when you got to talk to a whole bunch of people and track them down and then do like research on it and, and then put together like a 3000 word story, that's going to take you some time. So you're going to be working on that rather than just churning out a whole bunch of stuff every day. Uh, but then the, the nice thing about that is that, that you just, you do get the opportunity to kind of look around at stuff that other people aren't writing about and tell stories that other people aren't telling. And, you know, you just, it, one thing tends to lead to another, like the, the tournament story, you know, I decided I wanted to do a story on Jeremy Horn and just kind of his, the career that he had, cause it was pretty unique. And once I was talking to him, he's the one who told me about this tournament. And when I looked into the tournament, you realize like, oh man, there's a ton of of known people that were in this weird tournament that I never heard of before. I'll go look into that. Or, you know, I'm talking to somebody for one story, they mentioned something else and I can, I kind of have a little bit more free time and freedom to roam and be like, well, that was an interesting topic. Like, let me look more into that. And that becomes its own story. And for our listeners under 22, when he said 3000 words, we used to use word count when we'd write longer <laughs> essays and articles that you read. It's well, we'll put a footnote in the website description so people can follow along. But I, I appreciate that. So it's essentially a work hard, keep the grind going, and this is more of a, 
a position you've been able to work from out of hard work, not necessarily something that, you know, because you've had to do both, I guess, is the better way to say it. Yeah, yeah, I've had a little experience doing a little bit of everything, I think. Yeah, it's also how The Athletic gets Mike Lombardi. You're going to find out I just watched, I consume a lot of media here, so that big fan of The Athletic from their their coverage of the, the sports. But we are rounding third on being able to keep Ben for the entire uh, three hours worth of content Raph and I wanted to cover. But we're going to throw it to you, sir. Do you have any topics you want to hit with us before we, we bounce you out of here and back to your life of, of writing? You know, uh, I'm curious what you like. One of the surprising things that I've learned from running an MMA podcast is Chad and I sometimes talk about how we can mention seemingly any topic. Like if we mention something about, uh, you know, like scorpions, scorpions of the American Southwest, you know, (laughs) in passing, (laughs) it's kind of guaranteed that somebody will like write into us and be like, Actually, uh, I am a scorpionologist. Uh, I've studied scorpions for the last 15 years. You guys, let me correct you guys on a fact here that you guys got wrong about scorpions. And I'm just, I wonder sometimes, is that just our listening audience? Or is that just, if you run a podcast, are you just constantly, like it seems like anything we might just touch on, there's somebody out there in the listening audience who is a damn expert on it and, and can tell us all about it. I would tell you this, your audience is far smarter than ours. I was just um, going to say, we still get the yeah. opinions, but none of the credentials. Yeah, what we get is, so what they lack for maybe facts about random ass shit, they more than make up with truly sincere appreciation or um, like when I go to train and they spot me, they'll look over and they go, Raf, man, how is your arm bar? Has it been coming along better? And I go, I don't Why would you? Ask? Oh, I talked about it on the show. It's not bad. It still sucks. But thank you very much for asking. And I forget these things. So a lot of the times you we I, put it out. to the I mentioned we just forget. I think I mentioned I don't invert um, because yeah. I'm over 30 and I like my neck. And somebody was like, you know. I don't know if you've seen some of the Mendez brothers. It's like, shut up. Yes, I've seen it. I'm still not inverting. How's that sound? Uh. Yeah, see, that that too. Uh, I mean, every once in a while, like I remember, you, you know, you'd get to know people who are like readers, like longtime readers, or you get to know them through like Twitter or something like that, uh, or for, through the podcast listening on it. And then like you'd see them like post a video or something of them like at like a grappling tournament and realize, oh, holy shit, this guy's actually really good. Uh, and like, okay, you know, it, it's kind of a nice feeling to be like, okay, the, the people who actually seem to know their stuff are into your stuff. Like you must be doing something right. Yeah. I mean, again, I think one of the funnier things to us here on the show is for our show in particular, you know, Kevin and I had gone back and forth about starting a podcast and you're one of the guys who I remembered reading before I had any inclination to wanting to do this. This was just a sport I liked. And I knew I liked your writing. So I was like, oh, good for him. Uh, you know, that's awesome. And then right about the time we're about to start doing a podcast, you and Chad mentioned you're going to do your own. And I don't know if you ever caught wind of this, but our first maybe 10 episodes or so, we put you guys as our direct rivals. Now, there's no reason for that other than I just think it's funny. And to us, the fact that both of our shows still exist in very different spaces is still kind of a thing where I go, God, we're both still doing this. Yeah, How is no. this happening? 
I, I, the way I always keep track of how long we've been doing this podcast is that we started right before Chad's oldest daughter uh, was oh, born. Oh, no. Yeah. And so when I see her, like we were at like the same social gatherings and I see her and see how old and what like an actual like <laughs> more and more grown up child she is. I'm like, <laughs> man, that the, she's like the walking around reminder of how long <laughs> the two of us have just been getting together to talk into microphones a couple times a week. That's nice. A Ooh. physical manifestation. We just have yeah. like uh, Chuck Liddell's hairline. And mm-hmm. so it's like that's probably a, a more stark reminder. We're not getting into success here, Raph. We're just not. Obviously, you know, they just released episode 419 and, you know, mm-hmm. listenership. Who wants to compare that? Maybe they do. We wouldn't do that. I we, mean, listen, that's perfectly fine. Wouldn't. I would just tell Ben that part of the reason I knew I could actually reach out to having him on is because we've surpassed their number now. So once that happened, I said, oh, uh, game's on. Now we can bring him on just to tell him that. And really, I guess, is that why I brought you on? It might be. Mm, and no. I'm not going to plug their comainevent.com, not at all. Cobain event podcast or their Patreon or Rude. how big of fans we obviously are. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, but if you were inclined to check out the second best podcast in the business, <laughs> see, it's our show. You're allowed to take us down to task if uh, if we're ever invited <laughs> on the uh, Tri Main Event podcast uh, featuring <laughs> Ben and Cody. But you are Ben folks. We people can find you all over the social medias at Ben folks, MMA. Please subscribe to the athletic, uh, just for, for common decency and better coverage. I'm talking to you, BJPen.com and BJJE. You know what you did. Mm. You know what mm. you did. You know what you're doing. <laughs> mm. Ben, we're obviously big fans and we really appreciate you coming on. Please come on again without us having to I've I actually canceled my athletic subscription just so we might be able to get you on again here in a few months so we can be like all right I'll re-up um maybe a poem but thank you so much for coming on the show today sir yeah my pleasure thanks for having me verbal tap fans and folks has been changed. The new number is... Please note, the new number is...